0: Hello and welcome to Gamma Project. I am your host, Dean Statman, and this is Episode 8. This episode is brought to you by iFitNourish. Nourish delivers personalized nutrition to your door with protein, vitamins, and minerals to support your individual needs. When you go to iFitNourish.com, you'll fill out a quick questionnaire with some basic information, things like gender, age, height, and weight, before providing insights into your lifestyle, like your typical energy levels, daily sun exposure, whether or not you're a smoker, how often you exercise, the kinds of exercise you do, and, of course, your goals. In the dietary section, you'll input how much fruit and vegetables you get through your day, any dietary preferences, like if you prefer vegan or a vegetarian mix, food allergies, how often you plan to drink the shakes, and whether you intend to use them as a meal replacement or supplements. You can also pick your favorite flavor. Whether you're looking to build muscle, lose weight, increase your endurance, improve energy levels or athletic performance, or even just maintain, iFit Nourish was created to arm you with the nutrition that you need to go after your goals while also maintaining a solid daily nutritional foundation. When I went to ifitnourish.com to try it out for myself, the questionnaire took less than a minute to fill out. And when the system presented its recommendation, I was able to look through the supplement facts before completing my order. Your first personalized order is free. Just pay $5 shipping and you'll also get a free shaker bottle. I like to eat vegan as often as I possibly can, so I got two weeks worth of daily protein shake made from plant-based ingredients. And when you're ready to re-up, use discount code JUST4U. That's J-U-S-T, number four, letter U, at checkout to take another 20% of any personalized iFitNourish mix. Try it for yourself today at iFitNourish.com. That's I-F-I-T-N-O-U-R-I-S-H dot com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Gamma Project. Once again, I am your host, Dean Statman, and today it is a true honor to introduce this episode's guest, An endlessly inspiring human being who truly embodies the concept of no limits. Strauss Zelnick is the founder of Zelnick Media Capital, a private equity investment firm in the media and communications industry. He's also the CEO and chairman of the board of directors at Take Two Interactive, a leading developer and publisher of interactive software and games franchises, including Grand Theft Auto, Bioshock, NBA 2K, and many, many more. To give you a sense of the sheer magnitude of his accomplishments, Strauss's roles leading up to his founding of Zelnick Media Capital in 2001 include serving as Chairman and CEO of Columbia Music, President and CEO of BMG Entertainment, and President and COO of 20th Century Fox. Those are just a few of many highlights. He also holds degrees from both Harvard Business School and Harvard Law School. I first learned of Strauss back in 2008 when I saw him on the cover of Men's Fitness magazine. I was interning in my free time while studying journalism at NYU and I remember reading about this accomplished businessman who used fitness to fuel his success. Fast forward five years, it's 2013 and I'm the deputy editor of Men's Fitness. My boss tells me we're doing a feature on this mega successful entrepreneur in his late 50s who hits the gym harder than most guys in their 20s. I didn't personally write the piece, but when the photos rolled in, I saw a familiar face. And when it came time to edit the story, I remember being incredibly impressed that this guy, a family man to boot, had not only grown his business exponentially, but somehow found the time to get even fitter. After that, it was another couple of years before I heard Strauss's name again. The weird thing about it was that four years had gone by. And then in the space of one week, two different people, totally independently, told me about this guy that I just had to meet. And of course, that guy was Strauss. At this point, I was working my dream job at Men's Health. As director of special projects, I worked on the print magazine, the website, apps, events, books, subscription boxes, merchandise, brand partnerships, pretty much anything else with a Men's Health logo on it. I ended up meeting Strauss for a 6 a.m. workout where we chatted between sets of high intensity intervals. And it didn't take long to see that this guy was the real deal. The workout, or more accurately, our rest periods, weren't nearly long enough to pick Strauss's brain to the extent that I had hoped. I had so many questions, so when I created this podcast, I knew I had to invite Strauss onto the show. And when he accepted my invitation, I honestly couldn't believe it. To record this interview, I met Strauss at his home in New York City, where we sat in his library and talked honestly about success, failure, integrity, and prioritization in the grand scheme of life. It was a week-long seminar on leadership and philosophy condensed into less than an hour, and our brief but profound conversation has stuck with me ever since. To attempt to summarize the content of this interview would be to do it a massive disservice. So, with that said, here is my interview with Strauss Zelnick. Strauss, hello. Uh, Hi, nice to see you. (laughs) Nice to see you. Thanks for taking the time. I know you're on a super crunched schedule today.
1: That's my pleasure.
0: Uh, okay, so I know we don't have a ton of time, so I want to dive straight in, and I want to make sure that we talk about your new book, which really so get is, to promote the book right away. You get to promote <laughs> the book right away, immediate plug, and, and really the book is sort of the culmination of lots of what I sort of wanted to talk to you about anyway. So um, tell me about the book, Becoming Ageless. Uh, well, the book is really
1: about um, the fact that age as a limiting factor um is misleading at best and destructive at worst that you know when when we're young we're told that we're too young to do things as we get older um we're we're told we're too old to do certain things now, it doesn't ever seem to be anything in between uh and and what i have found in my life is that um as it turns out i wasn't too young to 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 achieve many things i set out to achieve And then uh, as it turns out i'm not too old to do other things that i've set out to achieve Uh, and that that a life well lived um, takes age as a limiting factor away
0: wow now something that you you had said in a prior interview uh small but meaningful changes that collectively render high impact results and so the book is really based on lots of small things that you can do that sort of come together and and create this like optimal lifestyle What, what have been some of the most impactful small changes for you? Well, I think there, there are two points, you know, every,
1: every action is made up of small micro actions. If you think about it, whether that's physical or in service of a career or a relationship, everything, everything's built, um, brick by brick brick over time. Uh, the, the, the point, uh, that, that I emphasize in the book is if, if you are seeking to make change, you know, conventional wisdom, if you look at, um, at the front page of your, um, if your average self-help oriented magazine or website is do this activity, usually something pretty hard. And in three weeks, you'll get these results. You know, your, your best body in six weeks, your washboard abs in three weeks, you know, get beach ready before summer. Um, and self-help books will often uh, apply the same principles to psychological health, uh, or career success. And, and my belief is that first of all, nothing worth doing happens overnight. We all know that intuitively. Um, secondly, that if you ask people to make massive change overnight, almost none of us can comply with that. And it's, it's actually self-defeating. Uh, so one, one of the approaches that I take in my life and it's reflected in this book is, with regard to every part of your life, if you're trying to improve matters, start slowly, be gentle with yourself. Small incremental improvements are great, uh, certainly better than nothing um,
0: and over time, a bunch of small incremental improvements improvements do add up so now at this at this point you are you 've entered your sixties and you are fitter than ninety five percent of the population. What are some things that you tell people when they just say well you you must just have the genetics of a uh, x men like you know what do you what do you tell people to encourage them when they think maybe oh, you know you do it but I, I couldn't do that. So first of all I got to get the other five percent.
1: Um, <laughs> um, that's kind of you. Look, uh, yeah, it's tempting to say to someone well obviously you know you're you're genetically blessed. It's just not true. I I wasn't uh, athletic as a kid. I was a student. Um, I didn't I didn't play contact sports. Um, I I ran not particularly well. I played tennis definitely not particularly well and um that was pretty much it and uh there was nothing about me that was athletically blessed and the people who train with me in the program can confirm that um because you know a lot of a lot of the stuff that we do i had to learn from scratch um w- what i am willing to do is to be a student to be open minded and i developed a willingness although it didn't come to me at first um to to fail Uh, And not to be overly embarrassed in so doing. So, when I was younger, I wanted, if I were going to do something, I had to be perfect at it. And if I couldn't be perfect at it, I had to stop and think about whether I wanted to do it. So, I gravitated towards things I had a facility for. You know, I was a good student and business came reasonably easily to me. Um, And that that was a comfort zone. I I could play there. But you got into um, competitive, difficult athletics that was a different matter and so I was going to stay on the sidelines and at a certain point in my life I just abandoned that fear and I was willing to be um, awkward or goofy and it is it's true that I'm less so now you know I'm 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 very much an athlete now it's hard even to say the words because it's really not where I started from but and I I enjoyed the process of getting there and it didn't happen overnight it happened it took a really long time um, but my observation is so what that it took a long time I enjoyed I enjoyed the um, the path and now I'm at a point where I really am of the view that anything is possible at a, at an age and stage where most people are saying maybe it was possible for me before uh, it isn't anymore and I just you know I just don't buy into that at all and when people say to me as they occasionally do to my frustration well you know given your age you're doing a great job I'm like I don't want that modifier like I want to do a great job For any age, the people I train with are roughly 25 years old, and I train somewhere between. I train mid-pack, and um, that's good. But I would, I'd like to be better. And you know, if I'm
0: fitter than 95% of the population, I don't know if I am or I'm not. That's not good enough. I mean, you're certainly fitter than me. (laughs) I mean, I remember that workout we did with Andy Spear not too long ago. He had us do uh, intervals of rowers and push-ups. You have to do 30 push-ups, and then once you did that, you hold a plank. And three sets of that, I think I got 30 on my first set and then the wheels came off the bus after that. You plowed through 30, 30, 30, like ready for the next one. I'm okay with push-ups.
1: Because <laughs> Strength to body weight is one of my advantages. But the, the point is that anyone can do this. Absolutely anyone can do it. And it is tempting to look at people and say, well, they're remarkable and I'm not. Um, and I, I have the same, I'm led in the same direction. I have to remind myself it's It's a small movement every day in service of your ultimate goals and um, there's a there's so many stories of people who've done just that. you know, take a look at someone who's lost a hundred or two hundred pounds they they didn't by definition they didn't do it quickly. It doesn't happen quickly right. and it's worse than that if you're very, very overweight um, and you lose ten twenty pounds you won't even see it you won't see the hardest the hardest change is the first change. Mm-hmm and you're not even going to get the benefit of looking in the mirror if you weighed 350 pounds and now you weigh 330, you are unlikely to see any difference. Think about how hard it is for people um, who are in that position, and yet many, many people are able to make those choices and and move in the service of those goals. I think every one of those people had to make um, modest changes and then stick with them, and very few of them, because if you you weighed 350 pounds and now you weigh 150, that took you years Mm -hmm. to do that. You, you really can't lose more than a pound or a pound and a half a week. It's really not possible. Body of work, yeah. literally. <laughs> so you're talking about multiple years of making small, modest changes, and presumably along the way having setbacks, and nonetheless getting up the next morning and doing it again. I, I, I did yoga this morning. I hadn't been to the gym, the yoga gym, for a while. I was not at my very best, um, but I left there saying I'm really glad I went to yoga, you know, I wasn't. Uh, no one, no one was taking a video of me saying you should look like that but I, I did it. Um, I benefited from it. I had a really nice experience. And if I don't go back for three or four weeks, I won't make any progress. And if I go back next week, I probably will.
0: And now, how do you stay consistent? Because you mentioned like the 300 pound person, you know, when they do start seeing those changes, that's a real motivator. Because if you're losing like 10, 20, 30 pounds at a time, you're, you're getting stoked on those results. Other side of the spectrum, you you're already in outstanding shape, and really you're fine-tuning at this point, right? You you don't need to be doing what you're doing. You can live a comfortable lifestyle. You can do whatever the hell you want, but you choose to be in that gym twice a day, kind of sharpening the sword. What keeps you at it? Well, first of all, I love it. It's my it's my avocation,
1: not my vocation. Secondly, I train with other people, and I'm a really social person, and I'm blessed. I have a lot of friends, and um, and I. I don't, you know, I have a family, I've got businesses, I, I'm I'm busy and I'm busy enough that to catch up with a friend over a meal may be very difficult to book, but mm. to catch up with a friend in the gym, super easy to do. And I also think connecting with people when you're exercising is is easier than sitting across from one another at a table, unless maybe you're pounding drinks and, and I don't do that. Um, and I choose not to do that. So... I, I'm i always with other people and that's motivating. Uh, if I don't really feel like, for example, I have a boxing workout book tonight and all other things be equal, I don't really want to put on gym clothes and go to the boxing gym, but I'm meeting three guys to do it. So I'm gonna do it. And then I'll feel better for having done it. So part of it is I always book with other people. Secondly, mm-hmm. it's a big part of my social life. And third, um, I don't believe I'm just fine tuning. I, I think I'm just at the beginning. Hmm. And I'm at the beginning of being more athletic, um, more fit, more flexible, uh, and having more fun because I enjoy the
0: process. So that, uh, that workout that we just referenced with Andy, I remember, and you just mentioned, you know, slamming drinks. I remember after the workout, we were were chatting, uh, and you mentioned how, you know, one day you just decided, do I want to be a guy who drinks scotch every day or a guy who works out? Um, that seemed like a sort of pivotal moment uh, whenever that was in your life. And then you also mentioned how at some point you sort of shed that fear of like looking goofy or being a beginner at something. Do you remember what the catalyst was that got you on this sort of accelerated fitness path or even interested in in just being an athlete? It's been a long time. I I mean, I started getting
1: into fitness in my early 20s. And, uh, you know, then I I was building a business and um, I got married and I was having kids and like everyone in that position, I had a limited amount of time. Uh, so people do occasionally say to me, uh, Wow, it's amazing you have time to go to the gym and do all these other things while you're running a business. I'm like, Yeah, I'm blessed that I can do that now. But to be clear, I wasn't able to do that when I was early in my career mm-hmm. and early uh, in, in my family life. And so the, there were some external limitations in addition to internal limitations. Um, internal limitations I discussed already, external words, you know, my other obligations. So in my thirties, it was harder to find more time to get to the gym, but I still got to the gym three or four days a week. And then I picked up cycling, which was a recreational activity in addition to fitness. But as my kids got a bit older, um, and my business got a bit more mature, I was able to devote more time. And I would say that was in my forties. And as a, as I said earlier, it was very incremental. There was never a day that I woke up and said, I'm just gonna transform myself into a a specimen. Um, But there were multiple days, including every day now, where I say, I'd like to try harder, perform better, learn more and be in better shape. My kids said to me, I have philosophy, which is I'm gonna be in better shape next year than I am this year. When I turned 60, uh, my boy said to me, you know, dad, there is gonna come a point where that's not possible. And I said, well, I'm just not buying into that. I promise you I'll be fitter at 70 than I am at 60. I promise you. And um, jury's out about whether I can do that at 80 over 70, but there's a there's a good deal of evidence that one can. Over 80, um, harder to find um, models for it, but I don't think impossible. Um, Jack LaLame was doing incredible feats of physical fitness mm-hmm. well into his uh,
0: early 90s. In addition to the sort of mainstream things people would expect like working out eating right are there any things that you've adopted from just basic, based off that sort of age fitness goal um, anything from the, the world of biohacking that you've sort of implemented into your routine
1: not really I think first of all we've determined what eating right means and it does vary person to person uh, the I think you can overdo this notion of clean eating for example um, but eating right in my opinion, means whole foods as much as possible, staying away from processed foods, staying away from things that come in a bag and a box, staying away therefore from refined carbohydrates and sugar, which I I am highly imperfect at because I like sweets, um, and avoiding things like alcohol, soda, even if it's diet soda and the like, um, which is to say from a positive point of view, eating plenty of vegetables and salad Lean protein, healthy fats, um, and if you do that more or less consistency, consistently, you, you'll you'll get a good result from a diet point of view. Are there other hacks? Um, not really, unless you have uh, vitamin deficiencies. A lot of New Yorkers, myself included, have vitamin D deficiencies because mm-hmm. we spend a lot of time indoors. You probably should take a vitamin D supplement. So, very little supplementation is actually necessary. And the truth is, even even things like steroids, which you know are illegal, um, those won't have an impact in the absence of exercise. Like you can, you right. can take, uh, hormones and if you're not working out hard, they're not going to turn into muscle either. And they'll have other effects, but even, even supplements that are known to have an effect on performance will not have an effect on performance in the absence of the
0: work. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of absence of the work. So if you have a day that is just like wall to wall meetings, you have to get that workout in somewhere. What is your, let's call it the minimal minimum viable product for a workout. Like what is the absolute least you'll let yourself get away with?
1: Well, first of all, I have to force myself to take rest days. And one should take at least one de- rest day a week. Mm-hmm. So I book workouts every day figuring something's going to interfere and that'll become my rest day. Uh, two rest days are also fine if you're working out hard. I tend not to do that. That's When, when you say
0: rest day, are you talking like active recovery? No, I'm or saying nothing. Rest, nothing right? I'm saying
1: absolutely nothing. Okay. It depends on how intensely you work out. If you're working out... Intensely two days a week and then less so two days a week um, Then it's totally fine to have active recovery for example a bike ride or maybe yoga or stretching or whatever Mm -hmm. If you're really if you're putting in like last week I think I worked out ten times. I had a rest day where I did absolutely nothing and that's important I probably should have taken two Mm -hmm. in terms of the minimum viable workout Uh, I, I think if you get into the gym for 10 minutes is better than zero, but I, I can do, there are a number of workouts that I can do in 20 or 25 minutes, um, that are usually timed intervals with weights where it's a very good workout in a short amount of time. Can you, um, call one of those to mind? Like
0: the, the format of the workout?
1: Yeah, the, the one that I call to mind, actually, I think I first read about the workout in men's fitness or muscle and fitness is a, um, Time to workout, I have a timer on my on my phone, which is thirty seconds on, thirty seconds off. So thirty seconds of exercise, thirty seconds of rest, seven different exercises, each using either a light set of dumbbells or a moderate kettlebell, and a mat you need a mat as well, because some of there's some core in there. So seven exercises, four circuits. Mm. It takes twenty-eight minutes, that's mathematically. And it's a good full, very good full body workout and it's metabolic, you, you're sweating when you do it and you're not wiped at the end of it. So psychologically, if you're pressed, I think it's hard to work, work out really diligently. The benefit of a workout like that is it's um, timed and you have the exercises written down, you have the mm-hmm. equipment in front of you and it's human nature then to comply as opposed to going to the gym and saying i have 20 minutes what should i do exactly. i'll do some bench press i'll do this and then eventually you're like oh do i really have to do pull ups i don't know do i really have to do like goblet squats no i'm probably not going to do that those are too hard yeah or like you spend 5 minutes waiting
0: for the 40 pounds dumbbells and then you just give up on them right so them. <laughs> i
1: try to be really efficient i i prefer not to spend more than an hour in the gym in general you can get a great workout in 35 or 45 minutes mm-hmm. if you're diligent and you're you're minimizing rest and by minimizing rest you're also burning fat and burning calories boosting your metabolism remember a lot of the the theories around long rest periods and workouts were tailored to workouts that bodybuilders Mm -hmm. do and those are really typically we're talking about ultra heavy weights and most people do not lift ultra heavy weights and shouldn't Mm -hmm. so when you see someone doing you know a five by five five sets of five reps and resting three minutes in between sets that's tailored for someone who's lifting at 80% of their one rep Mm -hmm. max. It's not tailored for someone like me who's lifting at 60% of his one rep max.
0: Right. Or 50%. Sure. You're just, yeah, you're just letting it slow down at that point. Yeah, you're just wasting time. Now, you've obviously got the physical component dialed in, um, or, or at least getting after it every day. What about the mental side of things? When it comes to physical training, you know, a lot of people will say, and I I agree with this, that really it it conditions you for lots of things in the real world. Like, you know, you get comfortable being uncomfortable and you kind of hear a lot of stuff about that. For you, is there anything outside of the gym that you're doing to fortify yourself mentally? Uh, Anything like, whether it's meditation or visualizations or or anything in that world?
1: I believe in prayer and meditation. Uh, I take uh, some time when I first wake up in the morning to pray And sort of, I I use the word pray, even though it's not religious particularly, it's more generally spiritual. Um, But it is how I start my day, by trying to set an intention and um, listen, as opposed to talking, which I do a lot during the day, like many of us. Um, I definitely believe in recovery, um, sauna, massage, uh, stretching, and relaxing in whatever way that one relaxes. And particularly if you live in a big city as I do and you're busy as I am, and I like being busy and I like living in a big city, I think you can't underestimate the need for calm, for tranquility, for um, openness, spiritual openness. And most of us need to take time
0: away from our daily activity to find that. Absolutely. Just making that small investment, even if it's 10 minutes here and there. Small amounts can go a long way. So speaking of investments, one question I want to ask you, and this doesn't need to be in the business sense, it could be an investment of time, uh, it could be money, it could be just energy even. What's a recent investment that you made that you feel is really paying off?
1: I would say the investment that I make that pays off most is taking time to get to know people and to build genuine relationships um, and always being open to doing so. So it's tempting as we get older to fit in our comfort zone with family and friends and colleagues. And I really enjoy meeting new people, developing new relationships and seeing where they lead. Um, and I, and I always have, uh, again, I, I think I'm, I'm more willing to do it now having let go of some of the normal fears um of well if i reach out and i'm rejected how will that feel and the answer is oh it's happened before it'll happen again again i think i can be okay with it and um not not everyone is interested in everyone else and that it's probably incorrect to say it's not personal it may well be personal but it is correct to say it really doesn't matter as long as you conduct yourself appropriately so i'm i'd say the investment that i make on an ongoing basis is a willingness to get to know people to make new friends, uh, to have friends of any age and stage and any career. Um, my wife thinks it's a little crazy. She doesn't, doesn't really understand why, um, I enjoy meeting people and I'm always open to new relationships. Her her view is that I think everyone is special and that's insane. And, um, I do actually, I think there's something special to be found in nearly everyone and I usually can find numerous things to like in nearly everyone. It's really unusual that I meet someone and I have no interest in getting to know them. But I wasn't wired that way, I had to make that investment. Part of it is just letting go of the fear of rejection. Hmm. Was
0: there anything that helped you let go of that fear?
1: I don't know, maybe that's one of the benefits of age. Um, although, I, I mean, there are people who carry around fears in any age, I think, uh, understanding the kind of person I wanted to be and working in service of that has allowed me to let go of fears that held me back, whether that was about athletics or business or, you know, my relationship with my wife.
0: Yeah. Now on the subject of meeting new people, you gave me a perfect segue right here. You mentioned briefly before the program. Now, when I found out what the program was, I was kind of just blown away because I I didn't expect something of this scale um, and and how consistent it was. Can you explain what the program is and and what was the sort of the impetus for
1: creating that? The program, first of all, the the name itself was intended to be tongue-in-cheek, so it's not meant to sound so self-important. The the program is really just a group of athletically inclined people who get together four mornings a week at either six or seven o'clock to do various kinds of group training. And, um, it started with a, a couple of old friends and who, first we were cycling in the park. And then, uh, as the weather turned, I decided cycling in central park when it's 14 degrees out is no longer appealing. And a buddy of mine said, well, let's go to spin class. And my attitude was, "Oh, I don't really like spin classes. They're so boring. And he said, well, let's do it. And we went to flywheel and really enjoyed it. And, and he invited a friend and then he invited another friend and there were four or five of us showing up to do the spin class. And uh, I think the second thing we did was actually yoga. I said, mm. you know, I hear there's this hot yoga class. Do you want to check it out? And we all went and that was two days a week. Now we were doing spin class and yoga because I was already lifting weights. Mm-hmm. And then we started um, training with um, Flex Cabral at Equinox when he was at Equinox in his high intensity interval training class. And that was our third day and that was super hard. Really, I'd, I'd never done high intensity interval training and that was a real eye opener, highly athletic, incredibly difficult. Um, it was amazing. The class was so hard that we rarely saw the same people every week. We were the only, you know, people come once and were like, Oh, I'm never doing that again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we would show up every week. And, uh, we train with flex at his gym trooper fitness now every week on Thursdays. And then we added another day, which typically is a, a timed interval weight lift. And, uh, we were open-minded to other people joining and, Um, word of mouth led to other people joining us and now I think our email list is about 65 or 70 people and the workouts are somewhere between this morning we had a small crew at yoga maybe 6 people and on Friday morning we'll have 24 people
0: wow and uh yeah, you could actually follow the program on Instagram. You can. It's, it's at the program underscore myc. Thank you for the plug. Of course. I mean, there are a lot
1: of pictures of people with their shirts off. So I'm yes. warning you in advance. Usually you front and center making them look bad. And well, I look bad <laughs> or look good. You know, the truth is I, again, it's while it may come across as vanity, from my point of view, it's just keeping me honest. Yeah, absolutely. And I always stand next to the fittest person in the room just to really keep me honest. So it's a, I, you know, it's a progress picture and um it's it's a way of saying well how am i doing and over time because the program's been around for a while now you know i am able to track my progress progress mm-hmm. but it's not a linear upward you know sloping curve i've had setbacks along the way and they're right there to, in, in black and white or in color
0: yeah of course now when you uh, i've been to you know uh, two of these sessions and what really impressed me was they are social but when it's time to work out it's time to work out like people are really hustling in those classes Um, you've got a lot of really cool people in these photos that I see popping up from the program. And I'm like, Oh, I, I know this guy, or I've heard of that guy or this person. Lots of young entrepreneurs, people just sort of coming up in the business now, starting their own companies. As someone who found success in really most of it at a time when there wasn't social media in the way that there is now, um, and at right at the beginning or even social media at all. Is there anything you see young, younger business owners, entrepreneurs doing these days? Maybe putting the cart before the horse.
1: You know, I, I think
0: putting the cart before the horse uh, or being distracted by, by tech in its abundant forms.
1: I, I, think I, I think I know what you're getting at. I think there are times when people are confused by the world of social media. Um, which you could sum up in my opinion as, you know, look how awesome I am. That's every post basically is look how awesome I am or look how smart I am or look how clever I am. Um, And I think there are times when people can be misled that being successful at anything is an overnight occurrence for some people and it isn't. The most successful people on earth have worked long and hard to get there. And in the world of entrepreneurship, because you asked about that, You know, most startups take over 10 years to go from the raw beginnings to some degree of financial success with a liquidity um, aspect to it, which is to say that it pays out. And Bill Gates is one of the most successful entrepreneurs of all time, and it took about 14 years from inception to Microsoft uh, being a highly successful public company. Um, Facebook actually didn't happen overnight. Uber is still happening, Amazon is still happening and growing, and was founded a very long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, if you talk to successful entrepreneurs, two a one, they'll, and, and the problem is they sound like war stories, but they're true. They'll tell you about how hard it was and how long it took and the frustration about how long it took. The only overnight success that I've ever been aware of is someone else's. Um, one's own success is hard one, takes a long time, isn't glamorous. Um, It can be fun, but it's not glamorous. And I do think there's something about social media that can belie that, sort of imply everything is going great and it's all seamless and easy and um, it looks incredibly cool. And it's simply not the case. You know, the early stages of an entrepreneurial uh, career are not really cool.
0: They're incredibly hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, Earlier, you touched on letting go of fear. And I know that was in the context of fitness, but in the business world. Do you still, did you simultaneously let go of fear, let's say physically, but also financially in terms of fear of taking risks? Have you ever had a fear of taking risks and, and that fell away at some point? Or what is your view on risk taking? I definitely
1: was afraid of, uh, of walking away from a uh, guaranteed income to of no income as I started my <laughs> own business. And, I, and as a result, because I am very risk averse, I waited until I had a, a bit of a cushion to start. ZMC in 2001 and I also wanted to wait until I had enough experience that I could put it in service to put it to work in service of building Mm -hmm. my business and I didn't have a massive amount of experience but I had some that relevant experience Uh, and I wasn't a child when I started my business Um, so I I was willing to take risk I, I still carried with me a lot of fear about how it would go I remember I was able to capture two ideas simultaneously when I started the company. The first was a good deal of optimism that we would be able to build a significant digitally driven media business from scratch and simultaneously I could capture the idea that this will never work, this is ridiculous, I have no capital, how could I possibly do this, it's going to fail. I'm not quite sure how I could capture both ideas simultaneously but I did and I was Definitely afraid of failure, and to say that I wasn't would be incorrect. But most of the time, I oriented myself to creating success, and I I did persevere. Um, I had I hit numerous roadblocks, and I did persevere. I wasn't prepared to take
0: no for an answer. So this this brings up a great point uh, on social. Like you said, you see a lot of the success. You see almost only the success, right? Um, and. You know, you could argue the same for, you know, resumes or like an about page on someone's website, like they're really only listing the the highlights and your resume is, you've achieved an incredible amount of success and have been just very successful across the board. Is there one failure that you look back on that at the time maybe felt devastating, but in hindsight helped to contribute to your success today? Well, I, I like to say that, you know, most of
1: us will make a lot of mistakes every day uh, but they're not failures because we can usually identify them and correct them or apologize for them, take responsibility and move on. A failure is a collection of mistakes that we were unable or unwilling to address along the way. And usually, you know, a failure is is a whole bunch of those. And I, defining it that way, I've really only had a couple of very significant business failures. I've been fortunate. I've never had a company fail, I've never, mm-hmm. I've never had an investment fail, I've never failed to repay debt. um, All that has gone well. Um, But I have had two very significant failures. And one was a situation where I was in the record business and I handled an array of uh, issues improperly with regard to one of our acts and ultimately lost the act uh, to another company with which we were in business. And it created an array of very difficult personal and business problems. But as I looked back on it and said, well, what went wrong here? What went wrong here is I took my eye off the ball. And I I was unwilling to engage in confrontation around a topic. And I kept convincing myself that I could just leave, alone, leave it alone. It would be okay. That's not my normal style, by the way. And I did it for like six months until the problem became intractable. So what I learned from that is... It, it is perfectly reasonable to let a situation develop before you act if you don't know what to do. But we're talking about a day or a couple of days. Mm-hmm. It is not at all unre- It is not at all reasonable to kick the can down the road hoping a problem will solve itself over if it doesn't solve itself within a couple of days, it's probably not going to. And a leader and a manager does address problems as they come up and, and, and deals with them, even if they're uncomfortable. The second was even more challenging, it was when we started our business and we consider ourselves a highly ethical group of people who act with enormous integrity. Uh, we're also very ambitious and in working on a transaction um, we, we violated the trust of a business partner and it's hard for me to say it uh, because it's so not how I define myself or us. And um, it, was, it led to an enormous problem with our business partner um, didn't luckily lead to legal action. We've resolved it. Um, but my observation is we behave badly and I behave badly because I run the organization. And it was a great wake up call because it's all well and good to say you're a highly ethical person. Uh, like everything, what one really is, is reflected in one's actions. And we learned a lesson early on in the founding of our company that we, We not only can't cross the line, we can't come close to the line. If we can even see the line, we're too close. And that is not the legal line. It is the ethical and moral line. And um, we define ourselves that way. And even today, occasionally, you know, something will come up and it's like a bright, shiny object. And you want to run towards the object and we'll say to one another, wait, wait, Mm -hmm. we we shouldn't do this. It's it's at odds with our culture. It's at odds with our view of who we are. Uh, And it was a lesson that, costly as it was early in the founding of our business, it was a very low cost lesson in the fullness of time because we clearly needed to be reminded that integrity is hard won and easily lost and maintaining one's integrity is daily activity in, in any pursuit, in any pursuit. We're all encouraged to cut corners. Mm-hmm. It seems easy at the time. It seems expedient at the time. And I actually think that most business frauds, like the big ones, like Enron, for example, most, not all, of course, but most started with legitimate people just being ambitious and aggressive and then slowly creeping over the line and then finding themselves on the other side of the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that failure, as painful as it was, and it was extraordinarily painful to this day, I, I feel the pain and it it's not easy. It's as you can tell, this is not a story that is uh, doesn't have any glamour in it. It's not as you ask many people, you know, what, what was your greatest failure and you know, they'll say things like, Oh, my greatest failure is, uh, I worked too hard. You know, I just, I'm in the office in the middle of the night and you know, that was my greatest failure. Yeah. Um, it's not glamorous to say, you know, we committed and (laughs) we had an ethical lapse and we had to learn from it. It doesn't feel good to say it, but the fact that we say that, and I own, I personally, personal pronoun, own responsibility for the choices we made as an organization. Um, is incredibly powerful in maintaining
0: and building our culture. You bring up a great point, maintaining and building a culture. A lot of people listening to the podcast are you know, um, entrepreneurs, people starting businesses, uh, people with startups. And something you see a lot in the fitness industry, actually, is someone will create a concept or a class, right? Like a boutique fitness class. And then they'll get big enough where they want to scale. And now they want to open studios, maybe, let's say, other ones in New York or maybe on the West Coast. And I see this all the time where the founder will say, we've just been diluted. You know, people who loved the class went to the one from New York, went to L.A. And it just wasn't the same experience. Like the soul wasn't there. When it comes to a company culture and you you have this idea of where you want yourself to be ethically, you want to be as as far away from the line as possible. But then you start growing and bringing people on board. Any advice for how people can you know, maintain that strong DNA as their company scales or grows? I think one needs to know what your
1: mission is, and everyone needs to share the mission, it needs to be written down, ours is. Uh, and you need to share, communicate, and celebrate your culture. And uh, our culture is be the most creative, the most innovative, and the most efficient company in any of our businesses. And ZMC's mission is readily available to everyone who works there and people who don't work there as well, it's on our website. Um, and it may sound like a goofy sort of MBA type process, but it's not. It's, it's crucial to know who you are and where you're going if you want to achieve a goal. And I'm a big believer in group communication. I'm a big believer in um, town hall meetings um, and lots of communications for groups. I don't, I don't think if you've got a big organization, and thankfully we do. You can have an all hands on deck meeting mm-hmm. every Monday. Although there are big companies that do, you know, Walmart has—I think it's Saturday mornings, if I'm not mistaken—a huge group-wide meeting, wow. and I'm I'm certain that they do that with a massive part of the team um, every week, uh, and that clearly helps them preserve and build their culture. Communicating the culture, being on the same page, um, talking about it is all. Incredibly important, but only if it's true the worst thing you can do is have a stated culture That's completely at odds with your actual culture. Mm-hmm. So there are companies will say, you know, we're just one big family I'm always nervous when people say that are you really a big family? And if so, what kind of family do you have at home? <laughs> um, this is a business, you know, we're, yeah. we're probably not all one big family
0: So I have one more question for you because I know you have to run and this is gonna seem like it's out of left field you are known for a couple of things business fitness if you got to teach a semester at any college in the country or in the world, and it could be on anything you want, it doesn't have to be a business class, it doesn't have to be law, it doesn't have to be about media, it could be about a hobby that you have that maybe people aren't so familiar with, some or it's just something you feel that people don't learn in school that they could you know, benefit from in the real world. You have that one semester college course, what would you teach? What would the subject of your course be?
1: I think it would be how to live one's own best life. And um, that that would certainly be the top of my list. Uh, I have uh, a lot of reading that I've done and that I some I haven't yet done that that um, reflects that topic. And I think it's a fascinating topic. This notion of we only get to do this thing once. And what's it going to be? And when I I spend a lot of time coaching and mentoring people, and one of the first questions that I pose is. What is your definition of success? Not someone else's. Um, What's your definition of a successful life? And what is it that you actually want out of your life? And that's tempting at any stage of our life to believe that that's where we will be forever. Something about our wiring. Mm -hmm. You know, we look at one another and um, you have no trouble believing that I'm going to get old and die. Um, But you don't believe that you're going to get old and die. That's the way one's wired. It's so weird. (laughs) And uh, and yet we all have this arc ahead of us. And we don't know the nature of the arc either. And I have, I've been blessed. Um, I actually never had any trouble with that. I always understood that life would progress and I was able to understand when I was 26 and things were going pretty well in my career, that someday I would be this age and I had to be thoughtful about, okay, what does life look like then? And one of the reasons I started my business was uh, at 40, I thought, well, when I'm 60, do I want to be employed by someone else? And I didn't want to be mm-hmm. uh, so I think the the thing that I find most interesting and it speaks to other topics that fascinating me business leadership politics interpersonal relationships um, m- money integrity uh, ethics spirituality recovery um, is how does how do you live your best life and the the getting back to uh, promote my 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 upcoming book. The idea there is one key limitation that many of us gravitate to, that limitation of age, is irrelevant. You can't change it and uh, you can't affect it. You
0: can optimize without regard to it. Awesome. Well, yes, everyone can find out loads more about living their best life in your new book, Becoming Ageless, which is available for pre-order. Strauss, thank you so much for taking the time. I know we have a hard stop Thanks again. I think people are going to really benefit from this. Thanks. Really enjoyed it. Hey guys, Dean here again. Thank you so much for listening. That was awesome. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe. You can find Gamma Project on all major podcast platforms. And if you're really feeling supportive, leave a rating or a review. I'll be back in two weeks with the next episode, the season finale, by the way. And I promise it's a good one. That's all I'll say for now. But in the meantime, head over to GammaProjectPodcast.com for more information on the show, its guests, and some other cool stuff you might find interesting. I also encourage you to check out previous episodes of the show. These interviews, by design, are timeless. And the principles, strategies, and tactics uncovered in each episode are universal. If you haven't yet gone back to check out previous episodes, tremendous value and inspiration awaits. And follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Gamma Project Podcast. No spaces. That's it for now. Until next time. Once again, this episode is brought to you by iFit Nourish. iFit Nourish delivers personalized nutrition to your door with protein, vitamins, and minerals to support your individual needs. When you go to iFitNourish.com, You'll fill out a quick questionnaire with basic information like gender, age, height, and weight before providing insights into your lifestyle, like your typical energy levels, daily sun exposure, whether or not you're a smoker, how often you exercise, the kinds of exercise you do, and, of course, your goals. In the dietary section, you'll input how much fruit and vegetables you get through your diet, any dietary preferences, like if you prefer vegan or a vegetarian mix, food allergies, how often you plan to drink the shakes, and whether you intend to use them as a meal replacement or as supplements. You can also pick your favorite flavor. Whether you're looking to build muscle, lose weight, increase your endurance, improve energy levels or athletic performance, or even just maintain, Nourish was created to arm you with the nutrition that you need to go after your goals while also providing a solid daily nutritional foundation. When I went onto ifitnourish.com to try it out for myself, the questionnaire took less than a minute to fill out. And when the system presented its recommendation, I was able to look through the supplement facts before completing my order. Your first personalized order is free. Just pay $5 shipping and you'll get a free shaker bottle. I like to eat vegan as often as I can, so I got two weeks worth of a daily protein shake made from plant-based ingredients. And when you're ready to re-up, use discount code you. that's J-U-S-T, number four, letter U, at checkout to take another 20% off any personalized iFitnourish mix. Try it for yourself today at iFitnourish.com. That's I-F-I-T-N-O-U-R-I-S-H dot com.